Well, hello everyone. I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome to Spirituality Matters. And now I invite you to settle in and let's find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the Holy transcends our physical bodies. And our time together, even though we are apart, is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, so let's get started. Now, this week's theme is called forgiveness. Now, stop right there. Before you press fast forward or hop on to another podcast, I'm going to say that I think it's pretty safe to say that you, like myself, do not know everything there is to know about forgiveness. In fact, some of your resistance may be coming from a place where forgiveness has been taught to you as a weapon. In other words, it's been weaponized for you and you have been forced into accepting the definition of forgiveness in certain ways. And I I also want to say on the offset that I have put this topic off week after week. This is our, I think our 21st episode for my podcast because I had so much trouble getting my arms around this topic. And now I realize that this has been the most research that I have done on any topic, doesn't matter what it is from any of the sacred scriptures to anything related to the historical relevance of any kind of Christianity or anything like that, that brings us to that's important for us today. I have not researched anything more than I have this topic of forgiveness. So what what again off the out the offset, what I want to say is that no one is an expert. I have read so much that takes you on opposite ends of the spectrum about what forgiveness is and what we, some of us have been indoctrinated to believe it is and how it applies to our lives. And this is your invitation to understand forgiveness from a different perspective. I am not holding myself out as an expert in any way. Nobody should. This falls in the realm of a human experience that deserves a lot of space. And I want to say again that one last thing before we dive into this is forgiveness is about you. Forgiveness is not about the restoration of a relationship. Forgiveness is subjective. There. That's the big part. Forgiveness is subjective, meaning that no one has the right to supplant over you or force over you what forgiveness means for you. And just like any other thing that we walk through our life that's a difficult phase, this requires space and gentleness in our lives. So I wanna start this topic by asking you a question. When you were a child, do you recall being instructed or even not just a little bit forceful than just encouraged to apologize to someone. So let's say you accidentally or mistakenly, you didn't even realize because we're as we're young and we're growing and we're learning about relationships, we often are our parents or our caregivers or our guardians are part of what is teaching us how we get along, how we live in community. So we do something, we hurt someone's feelings, and we are made aware of that that situation, that experience, and what our responsibility is for saying we are sorry. And sometimes, if that offense is 
um, egregious enough or severe enough that it's not only just the fact that we apologize, maybe we receive some kind of punishment. And, and that could very well be justified depending on what, what happened in the situation. So if we were forced into those those situations where we were expected to apologize without really understanding why, if it was just like, here I am doing this, I made this person cry, and not a lot of explanation around it, we might grow up believing that anytime we hurt somebody, we are expected to apologize when we don't really even understand the, the all of the, the realm of the situation. But on the other side of that, do you recall ever a time where you were told to accept another one's apology. So in other words, you're the one that was, you you were a one that was hurt by someone's actions or hurtful words or, or something like that. And, and someone is forced to apologize to you and then you are then instructed on how to accept that apology. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I found that quite challenging as a child because I was dealing with a lot of emotions. I was an emotional child, high energy, very emotional, very dramatic. So I often had trouble coming down out of those situations, even though I was told to accept the apology so we could get back into our playtime or experience or school or whatever. So I never quite saw the genuineness inside those types of almost like a contractual relationship with forgiveness to get back into the act of community. But there are lots of life lessons in those. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to teach to teach children what it means to be regretful, to understand that your actions, your words have consequences. And when you hurt someone's feelings, you should want to respond by offering some kind of apology. What what the Bible would call like a repentant attitude for something that we had done. So there's a lot of difference. So like I said earlier, there's a lot of different uh, thought leaders on this spectrum of forgiveness. So we're going to dive into that a little bit to discuss what true forgiveness is. And a lot of them disagree. But we're going to start because so many of you who follow me are either now on a spiritual but not religious path. You're here because you're healing from religious trauma. You're here because you're looking at how spirituality can still show up in your life and help you deal with the things that are going on. And so how do we bridge that gap between the physical life and the spiritual realm? Where does the mystical, the divine, the holy still show up? And it's certainly inside some of our religious religious experiences, whether we're trying to detangle from those, especially if we were indoctrinated into certain types of beliefs that no longer serve our highest good. So some of those teachings inside uh, Christianity very much sounded like no matter what the offense, we were always supposed to offer unconditional forgiveness. And that came from teachings around turning the other cheek. It came from uh, what was interpreted as some of the things that Jesus said, but we're going to get into some of that a little bit. And I'll be the first to say that even in my own experiences, when I sought out pastoral counseling, and especially when I was dealing with it, whether it was a family situation or a personal situation, how oftentimes the conversation didn't didn't hold space for my emotions that were surrounding the, the experience. I often was left to feel less than because I was experiencing, experiencing hurt 
or pain or loss. None of that ever got um, recognized. There was never space for that. It was always about forgiveness, about rejecting those as some kind of weakness of the spirit and moving into this realm of forgiveness as what was portrayed that Jesus modeled. But we're going to find out some other ways of looking about, about those teachings of Jesus. And I also say that now that I've been on the other side of my own seminary experience and my own time in spiritual counseling with people, I can tell you unequivocally that there are many pastors out there doing pastoral counselors who are not qualified to do so. So it, when you are looking for someone to offer you spiritual care, when you're looking for someone who are, who's offering you, wants to help you with those kinds of situations, please make sure that you're looking at at pastors or ministers who have had some kind of experience just because they went to a Bible college or something like that does not qualify them to be some kind of counselor to you. So if that's the only only experience that they can give you, I would make sure that I would look for somebody else that has more uh, immersion or life experience into those kinds of uh, therapy or therapeutic ex- examples that can help you other than just you offering something that's, that's very painful to you and all they do is regurgitate scripture back to you. I'm going to get off that soapbox right now because that's enough about that. But I want to turn right now to talk about the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is foundational to the Christian faith. And uh, for many of us, we grew up, what's one of the first things that we memorized. It's uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but of course, by the time you're usually 10 years old, you have that Uh, memorized, but what ends up happening is that also becomes foundational to how we start to blur what it means to actually forgive someone. Because this this prayer is found in scripture and it's, it's spoken by Jesus as a model for how we should pray. So uh, this is often said, many Christian denominations recite this together in community on Sunday mornings as an acknowledgement of the elements of life where we need divine intervention, where we need divine guidance. So you start to look at those elements of that prayer, which one of the verses can be translated to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And another one might be, another translation might be, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I think it's always interesting. I've noticed in, in uh, community gatherings like a, a, a wedding or a funeral, someplace like that, where a lot of times the people who are attending are divided by how they know each other and you go to do something like the Lord's Prayer and you can hear half of the room doing forgive us our debts sentence and the other half doing the forgive us our uh, trans- trespasses. So you start to see how those uh, Christian experiences determine which phrase you're going to use. But regardless of that translation, this small sentence is packed with electric charge because we on this side of heaven struggle to live a life where we can truly forgive. But there are other translations to that Lord's Prayer and some that invite you to consider a new understanding of what Jesus meant when he said, forgive us our trespasses. So one translation that resonates with me deeply, and I'll actually put a link of this in, to this in the show notes, because uh, it's a beautiful translation. Um, the translation that I like is just for this phrase. So it's forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here's another way to sound to, to consider that phrase. Untie the knots of failure binding us 
As we release the strands we hold of others' faults. I'm going to say that one more time. Untie the knots of failure binding us as we release the strands we hold of others' faults. Now this shift to understanding that forgiveness is rooted in our ability to see another as deserving of the same grace we so desperately seek is indeed significant and a sacred segue into how we live our lives and navigate forgiveness's place in it. So that's a, that's a powerful sentence, my friend, that we are now shifting to understand that what forgiveness has a link to grace. Now, that moves us into the human condition of just not being perfect. But it also uh, invites us to, under- to consider, are there other things about Jesus's teachings on forgiveness that may have been used differently based on your indoctrination into religion? Because I migrate toward the understanding that much of what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about forgiveness was referring to transactional relationships. This is taking it away from the personal or the emotional betrayals and more into how you live in community, whether it's business, colleagues, neighbors, those kinds of things that have less to do with love and more to do with mutual respect as you are exist in community. During this research, and like I said, there's a lot of tabs open on this uh, iPad right now as I've been researching this. I read an article uh, in Huffington Post by Dr. Maria uh, Mayo, and she herself is a holder of a master's in divinity and apparently a very much uh, learned scholar. And she wrote an article about forgiveness and her words resonate deeply with me. And I'll put a link to that article in my show notes. But basically what she is saying is that even though Jesus mentions forgiveness several times, he never really defined the term. So So in other words, that term, how it was used back in his day is certainly going to be different than how we use it in in modern time. So in so in other words, how did how did that word come up? Well, we know that the word the Greek word in the New Testament is aphiame. So I can I can spell it for you a p h i long e m i and I'll put it I'll put that in the show notes as well. That word appears in the New Testament, 146 times. So that tells you that that's going to have a lot of different meanings. And it could be something about uh, remitting a debt, to leave something alone or to leave someone alone. Isn't that interesting? To allow something to, to pass through, to leave something, to send something or someone away, to abandon something or even divorce someone. Now, all of a sudden, so those were that word that carried a lot of different meaning, which was which would explain why it was used so often in the New Testament. However, as it was translated into English, those translators picked up the word forgiveness 38 times into some of the modern texts so that we now look at forgiveness 
through the lens of its original Greek word and what exactly did Jesus mean. So again, I've said this several times before, my friends, but it certainly needs to be said here that this is where we need to be careful when we think we know everything there is to know about the Bible. You have to understand that a lot of times modern English cannot contain all of the language or the intention of the of the original words. It just can't. There's sometimes that trans, something is lost in translation. So this is a good time to also point out that the Bible is not static. Translation of the Bible is not static. As, as scholars unearth a new uh, sacred text or ancient scripture or ancient texts, and they learn more about these translations, we are learning more about our ancient scripture. We should be wanting that information so that we have better insight. It doesn't mean we're losing control. It, it means that we are receiving information at a higher level that allows us to understand more exactly what Jesus meant. But based on this, Dr. Mayo, and I agree with her conclusion that forgiveness in Jesus' time was actually something that was more transactional and it was more of an action that rather than a feeling. So sometimes when we talk about our contemporary ideas about forgiveness, that emotional state doesn't necessarily translate into what the biblical text was talking about. And then she goes on to say, and I agree with this, her completely on this, that Jesus was not talking about forgiveness as being equating it to offering unconditional forgiveness. He never talked about that being unconditional. Now, I'm probably throwing you in a tailspin right now because if you grew up in the church as I did, how many times have we heard the like for instance in Matthew 18:22 where where he Jesus was asked how many times shall i give forgive my brother or sister and Jesus says 70 times 7 he was talking about conditions inside community he was not talking about relationships so when he was talking about that wasn't familial relationships he was talking about community neighbors how do you interact with people who who possibly aren't bringing their highest integrity or possibly making mistakes. Those are the kind of people that we bring, we, we have to live with. We have to figure out a way to get along with people inside community. So that's a, that's a different kind of transactional thing where we, we start to give and take and figure out who we can trust and who we can't and how we move along. So that forgiveness, when you, maybe you've heard like, especially in a court system or in a banking system where they talk about forgiving a debt, just like in the Lord's Prayer, a debt is a financial debt. It's not an emotional debt. So you can see that this, this scripture had different meanings. And also this same talk, this same description where Jesus was talking about in Matthew 18, 22, where he was talking about forgiving 70 times seven in Luke, he adds, if there is repentance. So we don't know, you know, there have been many times in scripture where there have been things added over the years. And whether or not that was added later, I don't, I don't know. But we have to, you know, we have to keep it open that there's a possibility that Jesus did say, if there is repentance. Well, repentance is about you did something to me, and now you are asking me for forgiveness. Where, where's that coming from? Is it coming from a place of entitlement because you won't be held accountable for your actions, or you really are are regretful for some of the things you've done? That's the act of repentance. Okay, moving on to the turn the other cheek. Does that refer to forgiveness? Now, this, 
I, I could go to five different scholars on this and I'm going to get five different answers. But again, I liked what Dr. Mayo had concluded here. When Jesus was talking in Luke 6.29 and it also appears in Matthew 5.39, you can look these scriptures up and I'll put these in the show notes as well, where they're talking about if someone strikes your cheek, offer the other as well. So this was... This was, a, this was the antithesis of what we learned in the, what we call the, what the Christians call the Old Testament, um, where we were talking about an eye for an eye, that kind, of, that kind of theology. He was moving away from that where he was saying, offer your cheek instead. But what Dr. Mayo concludes is that actually turning your cheek was a sign of power because when you turned your cheek, more than likely, it was a person who, with the first strike, would always be with your strong hand with the, the with the certain angle. When you turn your cheek, they're not able to do that with the same hand. So they're going to have to use their weaker hand. That was a sign of rebellion. So this wasn't necessarily a place of humility as much as it was strength. You were showing your defiance against someone who thought they had power over you by offering your other cheek. Now, is that true? I don't know. But either way, whether we are looking at forgiveness to the point where we turn our other cheek to make ourselves humble ourselves in front of someone who has somehow betrayed us or harmed us in some way, or do we believe that this is about power. Either way, do you see how it shifts to you to make the decision on what happens next? It doesn't necessarily mean that you're moving into a place where this person is going to continually take advantage of you. And so that, please spend time with that and go read, like I said, Dr. Mayo's link will be in my show notes, but also do your own research because so many of us have had reasons to consider how forgiveness must show up in our lives. Okay, so now let's switch gears to the other side of the spectrum, away from scriptural teaching or religious teaching, anything that you might have received in your past experience or your religious heritage related to forgiveness. And let's talk about an entirely different view that may be held inside Christian or other religions, but what I see here is that this is more outside in the what we call the secular world, where high walls and deep moats are often encouraged to ensure that the heart will never be hurt like this again. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, especially if the act of betrayal or pain was so toxic or harmful that this human, this trust in this human is forever shattered. So now we're moving into a place of trauma. And we're going to just bookmark that because we'll come back to that in a little bit. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, like I said, but what we have to be careful about when we've moved into a place where this is now a protection that we have against us, that it doesn't keep out people who we can trust, people who will love us, people who, is, who are trustworthy. Because no matter who we love, who we trust, we always have the capacity where we're going to be in a relationship with someone where we're going to have to forgive. And we're going to have to ask them for forgiveness. So it doesn't matter how high that those walls are or how deep that moat is. When we let people in that we love and love us, we're still going to have to learn to navigate some level of forgiveness. That's just living. 
And so if we if we block out so much of that, then we are denying ourselves something that's foundational to the sacred human experience. So let's make sure that whatever we're doing here to protect ourselves doesn't prevent us from enjoying true relationships with people, true fellowship. Now, still something else about this painful experience, which is also on the uh, this spectrum of forgiveness, are those who believe that we attract into our lives the lessons we need. So they believe that we've attracted these painful experiences. And once we receive them, and once we experience them, we are at a place where we are going to start um, expressing gratitude for having had those experiences. And so because those those experiences have sacred pockets of wisdom related to our life's journey. In other words, they teach us something. So this approach encourages us to, to, and to navigate through the pain and the hurt until we reach a space where we can express gratitude for having experienced the incident that taught us our valuable life lesson. Now, I don't see many people being able to be right at the at the at the offset of a painful experience being able to express gratitude for that. That denies also part of the human experience which is loss, which is pain, which is suffering, which is sorrow, which is disappointment. Those are all those are all part of the emotions that we've been given to help us navigate life. So it's not to say that we receive this and we immediately say, oh, thank you for this pain. I would never teach that. I would not encourage that. Maybe there's people out there who can do that, but not in, not in my realm. So, but, but every one of these teachings hold wisdom for us. It's like you bring them all together to help us on this this forgiveness journey, this deeply personal and spiritual journey. This is our opportunity to go within. It is our opportunity to go within and start the healing. It's about us. It's about us seeking wisdom in this experience so that in the future, when we return back to life, we do have new resources. We do have new tools that we've added to our, our spiritual growth to our emotional tools that we can use that can help us understand when do we need to establish stronger boundaries? When do we need to have our guard up because we we are recognizing some things that maybe we didn't recognize in the past? Where do we need to protect some of our vulnerable spaces where maybe we allowed people too far into ourselves? Now, that's not to say that we keep everybody out of those spaces, but maybe in some ways we are spreading ourselves way too openly to other people. It's all part of the understanding as we are healing from that experience. There's no judgment on anything that's happened to you in the past, beloved, or anything that you have done. So don't think that that's what this is. But what we also don't want to happen is that at the end of this, when you start to return to your life, that you live in a place of suspicion and mistrust about everybody else that's coming through. Everything else that happens to you from this point forward filters through mistrust and suspicion because you are going to make sure that no one ever hurts you like that again. So how do we use some of this wisdom that's part of the religious experience, that's part of the protection experience, that's part of this this learning what 
We can learn about ourselves from having navigated through the hurt. This is all the balance of what we do so that if the possibility of betrayal happens again and if we continue to live and love and, and trust people, then more than likely it is going to happen on some level. What we don't want to happen is to bind our heart with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness because sometimes we do that because the thought of living with that pain is something that brings us comfort because it's easier to do that than to think about what we have to do to release it. Beloved, that's not to say that your suspicions and your pain and your mistrust of people aren't warranted. Your pain can be so deep and the betrayal so egregious that you are right in protecting yourself you might be harboring trauma from this. This is all very real. Your rejection may have been very painful, but this path to healing is one where only you can begin this journey to healing by accepting that life is lighter when you are finally re ready to let go of that suitcase that you're carrying of unforgiveness because it's just too, it's just too heavy and it's just too painful. So is letting go of this pain possible? Yes, it is. Now, will you ever get to the point where you will say, oh, thank you for this experience because having gone through this heartache has made me a better person? The truth is, I don't know. No one really knows the answer to that. This takes time and intense work with a commitment to healing and a journey through your own hurt to fully mend the heart. And that's why I want to return to this for a minute when I say that no one knows the answer to that. But this is a journey. This is trauma, my friends. We have to accept the fact that as part of this journey, we, we, we navigate through the experience when we hold space. Remember at the very beginning, I said that forgiveness is subjective. I don't get to tell you what your forgiveness journey is going to look like. No one gets to tell you it's as valid as any grief or sorrow or loss that you may be experiencing. Your life will never be the same because of what has happened to you. So what do you need to heal from that? No one should be putting any expectations on what life is going to look like. So when you are still, especially with people who are still in relationship, family relationships, spousal relationships, partner relationships, and this has happened and you are still in each other's physical realm, it's so important for you to find ways to distance yourself from pressure that would demand that you restore the relationship. Restoration of the relationship does not come before your healing. Do you hear, hear that again? Restoration of the relationship does not come before your healing. The betrayer needs to give you space. That's the, first, that's the first thing that you deserve to expect. Now, if this is an enabling situation where you are continually offering forgiveness to something who, someone who perpetually is not moving beyond it's their ability to not betray you in some way, then that goes into a lot of deeper situations. And I would invite you to consider what kind of other resources you and your uh, partner, your 
your spouse, whoever this is that you, you are in relationship with, where you two need to figure out how you can spiral out of this toxic circle that is hurting you both. You're not moving beyond it, and it's certainly stagnating your life because once you can turn to those who have hurt you and offer an invitation to a new relationship, if that's possible, sometimes it's too traumatic. Sometimes it's too horrific. It's up to you to decide that. No one has the right to judge what the out, outset of a restored relationship looks like looks like but once you can acknowledge the wisdom that you have gained from having had that experience and how your life's going to look like by moving forward then you can truly say thank you do you do you hear that do you see it that it's not about the restoration of of the relationship it's about being able to say, thank you, I see now how I have changed because of this. But beloved, please give your time, yourself time. Friends, forgiveness is indeed subjective. It is about grieving. It's about space. It is about acknowledging that it indeed can be traumatic. So the last thing I want to say about this is, yes, it, again, it is a process and that the ultimate result is not for you to worry about restoration of the relationship. I want to leave you with a quote by Oprah Winfrey, and she says, forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could be any different. In other words, we can't live back on what life was like before that. If we are, if we are desiring to go back to that without looking at what just happened and how it changed us and how it changed the one who betrayed you, then you are destined to repeat yourself again. So I want you to think about forgiveness and how you can incorporate it into your life. Who do you need to forgive? Are you ready to forgive? And sometimes the person that you need to forgive most is yourself, my friends. And amen. That was a big topic, and I'm sure there will be times where we'll come back to this in some way. I'm writing about it in the blog, and I will be probably doing some videos on it on TikTok this week as well. But for now, beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you, and I pray you did receive something. I know I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love, and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you, and you are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week, and I'll see you soon. If you like what you heard today, be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. To have your question featured on an episode, email us at spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. And as always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now.